0: Hello, I'm Dr. Yishan, a board-certified sleep psychologist. Recently, I know a lot of friends and family who are getting pregnant or just become new parents. So we often hear others say, do not expect any good sleep after you give birth. Is that true? Actually, there are a lot of things that new parents could do to really improve both the baby's sleep and their own sleep. So, today, we have Dr. Jade Wu, a board certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist, a researcher at Duke University School of Medicine, and the author of her new book, Hello Sleep. She will share with us what to expect and what to do about our sleep right after giving birth. Clips of this interview video will be available on our new YouTube channel, Mind Body Garden Psychology. My team and I Upload one new video each week covering topics like mental health, sexual health, and sleep health. Check it out and let me know your feedback. Let's welcome Dr. Wu. So, welcome, Dr. Wu. Very happy to have Dr. Jade Wu coming back to share her journey with Baby sleeve again. Welcome. Well, it's a pleasure to be here again. Great. So Dr. Wu, last time when I talked to you, I remember you were super pregnant.
1: <laughs> yes. I was what, like 38 weeks pregnant, like about to pop, something like
0: that. Yep. Thank you for still being on the show. Wow. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So I know now as a baby already being delivered and possibly there's a lot you have to adjust and a lot have to deal with, right? Oh, absolutely. And this is a perfect
1: time for us to be recording this episode on postpartum sleep for moms, because everything's fresh in my mind. I'm still in the thick of it myself. Uh, and you know, I'm refreshed on the research about it. So I'm happy to speak to my experiences and the, and the research, you know, what it shows and what other moms can do to help themselves sleep better.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I noticed when I run my, um, insomnia course to, to treat, you know, use CBTI to treat insomnia. There are quite a lot of new moms coming mm-hmm. and complaining about their sleep. So I'm curious as a new mom yourself right now, what are some challenges you be experiencing for your own sleep and your baby's sleep?
1: Yes. Great question. So there are some big categories I would say. One is Often overlooked is a huge circadian disruption of mom's sleep, um, and other parents too—dads, partners, you know, everybody. Whether it's an, uh, you're an adopted parent, birthing parent, any sort of parent dealing with a newborn, you're going to have circadian disruption. And what I mean is, normally, hopefully, if you have healthy sleep and circadian systems, what's going on is that you are awake during the day and you're asleep at night. And this pattern is very clear and very consistent. So you get sleepy around the same time each evening, you sleep you know, pretty solidly through the night and then you're pretty awake. You wake up at about the same time every day and you're pretty awake during the day. That's how it should work. But what happens when you have a baby is that the baby does not have a circadian rhythm when they're born. So they are basically taking naps all throughout the day and night. To them, day and night are exactly the same. So then because you have to care for the newborn, for the baby, you also then end up following your baby's patterns and you get scattered too. You end up sleeping in broken up chunks. That's one of the biggest problems is circadian disruption. The timing consistency of when you sleep and when you're awake gets really messed up. Now, along with that comes problem number two, which is usually people are not getting enough sleep because even though your baby is sleeping like 16, 18 hours a day, your circadian rhythm still exists to the extent that you are awake during the day. And besides, you know, you have to do stuff. You have to uh, cook and, you know, some parents have to work immediately afterwards, which is a whole other issue. Um, You know, you have to take care of other kids. You have to do personal hygiene, lots of things you need to do during the day. So you can't sleep most of the time during the day. And you have to be up for long chunks during the night. So then you end up sleeping less in total and your sleep is interrupted during the night. So that's problem number two. Um, and problem number three is that, especially if you're a brand new parent, this is your first time having a baby, you are probably pretty stressed out and you, are always wondering, am I doing this right? What, what am I doing? You know, like when is the baby going to get less colicky? You know, you're just dealing with so much uncertainty and unknowns, the stress on your system causes this 24 seven hyper arousal, not to mention the hormonal things that are happening to make you hypervigilant. If you're the birthing parents, you have hormones that are making you hypervigilant to sounds like right now. Um, I could lay down and try to sleep and the chicken in my backyard will make a noise and I'll be like, is that the baby? You know? So your, your system is just geared to be more hyper aroused and that hyper arousal can make sleep more difficult so that some parents are saying, okay, now my baby's sleeping pretty well, but I'm still not sleeping. Or like, I finally put my baby back to sleep after a midnight feeding And somehow I'm still laying here, looking at the ceiling and, and it's very frustrating, right? Because, you know, in another two hours, you're going to have to get up again. And meanwhile, you're not being able to sleep in the meantime. And that's super frustrating. So I would say these are the three main issues, circadian disruption, curtailed sleep, or just not enough sleep. And third, just more hyper arousal, more stress.
0: Wow, that sounds really challenging. It really is, Uh yeah. (laughs) I can definitely see pros and cons of a lot of different things, right? Um, Being a new parent, you are Uh, hyper-vigilant. That that way you can really pay attention to the new baby to make sure they are (laughs) safe, their needs are met. But at the same time, that's a stress on yourself. Mm -hmm. Plus all these other daily uh, responsibilities you already have. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. It's really tough. And especially now that I'm back to work,
1: you know, the, the day goes on, I have to, you know, take care of my patients and I have to like write and document and do all these things. And You know, my sleep is disrupted. So, modern parenting, I think it's especially hard because we don't have, in America at least, where we don't have very good maternity leave and paternity leave policies. um, We, you know, really have to function on very disruptive circadian rhythms and disruptive sleep. And that's so tough for parents.
0: Right. I'm curious how long the, the maternity leave would be a reasonable length, right? Um, that come back to the point you mentioned earlier, baby's sleep is different. Baby does not have um, circadian rhythm. So um, can you help the audience understand a little bit more how baby's sleep develop? To what point is they gonna start having some kind of circadian rhythm?
1: Yeah, so well, here's the good news. It's not that long. Um, starting at about six-ish weeks, and certainly by three months, they do have a circadian rhythm. That doesn't mean they're necessarily sleeping through the night at that point, but by that point they should have a very distinct day versus night pattern. They should be sleeping most of the time at night and getting most of their sleep at night and at at least awake a lot more during the day. They're still going to be taking a lot of naps, but if you were tracking their sleep and like coloring in the the hours where they're sleeping, you should see a distinct day versus night pattern. And to this point, I think we mentioned this last night when we were talking about pregnancy sleep. During pregnancy, if you are the parent carrying the child and birthing the child, you can actually help your baby develop a circadian rhythm faster by having very good circadian behaviors yourself during pregnancy. So for example, if you keep a pretty consistent sleep and wake pattern yourself during pregnancy, get plenty of light during the day and plenty of darkness during the night, that's helping your brain circadian system itself. And you're helping your babies, the the fetuses um, master circadian clock in their brain to develop and to mature better. So parents who are able to do that better during pregnancy have babies that develop circadian rhythms sooner, um, you know, in their life. So I'll give you an example with my own kids. With my first child, when I was pregnant, I had you know, I was a brand new parent. I didn't really know what I was doing. I had no other kids to sort of keep me on track. So when I was pregnant, I was just like, Oh, I'll nap whenever I'll sleep in on weekends, you know, I'll do whatever. I was like pretty good, but not, I didn't really pay attention to circadian rhythms. And my baby developed a circadian rhythm at about two months, three months ish. And the first three months were so tough. With my second baby, this time I was very careful about making sure I had a strong circadian rhythm during my pregnancy. Plus, my toddler was forcing me to do that anyways because he has, you know, his schedule. So in a way, he helped me and helped his baby sister. Um, because with my second child, by four weeks, she was pretty much, you know, sleeping mostly through the night, like only getting up about twice during the night. Very solid during the night like a lot more awake during the day, very clear and consistent bedtimes and wake times. I don't know for sure if there was a causality there, but I wouldn't be surprised if my better circadian rhythms during pregnancy uh, contributed to her developing a robust circadian system much earlier than her brother did.
0: Wow, That's so interesting and sounds like so important, right? We always talk about ba- baby sleep twin. But the the training actually really starts when they're still uh, (laughs) inside. (laughs) Yes,
1: absolutely. And yeah, I think that's one of the big misconceptions about sleep training. I think this term can be a fraught term. It can bring up a lot of connotations and there's a lot of controversy around it. So often when we hear the term sleep training, we think of, okay, cry it out. We're just going to put a baby in the crib like leave the room and come back 12 hours later, which I, I, I just like talking about it. Like it's really hard for a parent to even think about doing that. We can talk more about cry it out later. Um, but right now, the point I want to make is that there's actually a lot of lead up to that point, whether or not you end up doing cry it out with your baby, there's so much that you can do to help your baby to sleep and help yourself to sleep much earlier than that point where you're trying to decide whether to cry it out or not, even during pregnancy. And from day one, when the baby is born, you can be helping yourself and your baby to develop that circadian rhythm and to consolidate nighttime sleep.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We can touch on that later. So now we know right as parents as new parents we possibly have to set our expectations right mm-hmm. to understand babies sleep are different than adult sleep So we should not expect them to sleep in a certain way (laughs) when they are born. Um, So now we understand that, we get used to that, we observe maybe after several weeks, two months, eventually we start noticing, oh, some patterns being formed. So in this journey or at that point, what are some things you have done to really help yourself um, to sleep better?
1: Yes. So again, I'm going to focus on the circadian piece, because I think this is one that is largely missing from the public health advice that moms hear. We hear a lot about nighttime sleep and, you know, prioritizing sleep and nap when the baby naps. And yes, that kind of sometimes works, but I mean, sometimes you can't nap when the baby naps. It's like, okay, great. Nap when the baby naps and file taxes while the baby files taxes, like do the dishes while the baby does dishes, I, you know, I can't do that. So sometimes it's it's actually a little bit of a pet peeve of mine to hear, you know, nap when the baby naps, prioritize sleep. It's like, yeah, I'm trying to prioritize sleep. I want to sleep. Trust me. So, okay, here, here's something else I can, I can offer that hopefully is more doable. The circadian piece is very important. So again, just a quick brief primer on circadian rhythms, you know, our brains um have a clock, many clocks actually, and one master clock that really likes to know the difference between day versus night and to have a really consistent expectation of when day starts and when night begins. Right. So the biggest cue that we can get um, to help our brain know when is day, when is night is light and the light that enters our eyes is actually detected by cells photosensitive cells in the backs of our retina that send the signals directly to the brain that says okay it's daytime versus there's not a lot of light it's nighttime so we need to get lots of light during the day and not a lot of light at night to help our circadian rhythms be robust now i'll share a really interesting research finding which i just found mind blowing for new parents, they spend about 70 to 80 percent of the day in a really dim room, less than 50 Lux. Fifty Lux is like a few candles, a room with like the shutters drawn, quite dark. Um, and we spend less than five percent of our day in the amount of light that would be equivalent to an overcast day. So not even full sunny, broad, you know, broad daylight, but an overcast day. Less than five percent. So it's basically like you deliver your baby or you adopt your baby, you have your baby, and then suddenly you're shoved into a dark cave, and that's where you live twenty four seven. Now, of course, your circadian rhythms are going to suffer when that happens. You have so many fewer cues for your brain to know when it's day versus light. It's like a big shift in um, how your brain experiences light versus dark. So that's why, I have some more figures here Our melatonin curve. So melatonin is the hormone that helps to tell the rest of your body when it's day versus night. Um, Now that curve should be very clear in showing, you know, it should be very low during the day. Melatonin should be high at night. What happens to that curve during the postpartum period is it flattens. So it gets to be higher during the day and less at night because you are experiencing more darkness during the day and more light at night when you're turning on the lights to feed your baby at night. So that uh, curve flattens, and of course that's going to affect the quality and quantity of your sleep. So I know I've rambled on a lot about circadian rhythms. The take home message is get a lot more light during the night, uh, during the day, during the day. So take your baby outside, take yourself outside, you know, open the curtains, um, sit by a bright window if you're going to be sitting there feeding your baby or doing something else, and turn off the lights at night. Put away screens or dim those screens. Um, use use a light night to feed your baby at night. Don't turn on the overhead, you know, light. Like I was just showing you before we started recording, I had dark red pillowcases (laughs) piled over my lamp even to keep it as dark as possible. So that's one of the best things you can do for your sleep and your baby's sleep is to make that contrast really big between day and night.
0: Right, right. So kind of like uh, maintain as adults, we want to maintain our normal healthy circadian rhythm. And at the same time, uh, while we're doing that, we are actually help the child, I'm sure, to develop, right? Their own circadian rhythm and light always so important. But I'm also shocked why so many new parents stay so long in a dimmed room. Is that their behavior changed because they have a baby? Yes, it I know it's shocking how a full day
1: can go by and suddenly you realize, oh my gosh, I've been indoors all day. And I didn't understand this research finding before I had kids. Now I so, so totally understand it because one, a newborn is just needing to feed around the clock. They are feeding every one to three hours. And at first it takes a long time to feed, especially if you're breastfeeding, it can take 45 minutes to an hour to do one feeding session because they're not very efficient with their feeding yet. So that means you're sitting there like stuck in a chair or in bed or wherever you're feeding, feeding this baby, And, you know, you're not going outside as much because as soon as you finish feeding your baby, you got to change them and they're, they need to sleep again because they're napping so often their wake windows, like 45 minutes to an hour long. So you have barely enough time to change them and feed them before you're putting them down for a nap and to put them down for a nap, you know, in the first couple of weeks, they can go down by themselves pretty easy. But especially if you have a colicky baby or a fussy baby during those first 12 weeks, very common to have a fussy baby. You have to soothe them to sleep. You have to work really hard to rock them, walk around, bounce on a bouncy ball, you know? So you're working very hard to put them to sleep. And if you're trying to help them to sleep, you're probably in a dark room together because if it's like super bright, they're not going to sleep either. So there's a lot of opportunity for a parent to be in a dark room and not a lot of opportunity to be in a bright space or to be outside. Because even when you do have an opportunity, you're so tired that you're like, let me try to t- catch a nap or let me just lie down here instead of let me go outside. Right. So that's why um, we're kind of set up to fail almost with how much darkness there is. So that's why we have to work extra hard to remind ourselves to be at least sitting by a bright window and, you know, maybe sitting on the porch to rest or to feed your baby when you can. So you're getting at least some light. Right.
0: Right. Hope once our audience, whoever listening, right, know the knowledge, know the research, they will choose, make options, what's gonna be helpful to their situation. Sometimes it's like unknown, and then we just tend to do whatever <laughs> the, the day asks us to do. Yes, that's
1: so true. That's a very good point that you know we can have the knowledge and we can try our best. Sometimes it's just not possible. Newborns are, especially if you have a colicky newborn, especially if you have another child or another children already, you're just uh, so pulled in so many directions. It's not necessarily easy or even at all possible to do, you know, quote, best practices. So definitely I would advise people to give themselves a lot of forgiveness and grace and a lot of acceptance that you can try your best, and sometimes it's not possible to do what you quote should do,
0: right, but at least sounds like this light change is a little bit more under our control, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, so the babies develop uh development by the baby have circadian rhythm when they're gonna do that. Uh, we cannot fully control it. we can go with it, observe, try our best but the light at least does something more doable. (laughs) It is more doable. Yes. And you know, if, if you
1: live in a house or apartment that's just like kind of dim and you don't have a lot of uh, natural light or you don't have a lot of opportunity to go outside because you work indoors, another suggestion I have is either a light box or light glasses. These can be a little bit pricey, um, but you can probably find some bargains you know, on Amazon or something for the light box where you can give yourself a little extra boost if you can't go outside. I mean, going outside is the best because then at least you're also moving your body and getting some fresh air. But if you can't do that, light goggles, light box can give you the extra boost. So 20 minutes in the morning can go a long way.
0: Great. So there are a lot of strategies we can consider to Mm -hmm. boost our light situation. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And it really goes a long way. Yeah. Great. Any other strategies you think is important for parents, for new parents to know either about themselves or for the babies? Mm -hmm.
1: So I would say another tricky one is napping. Often we hear nap when the baby naps, and this is sort of true. So there's pros and cons to this in the very beginning, when you're in the first couple of weeks, especially if you are the birth giving parent, absolutely nap when the baby naps, just nap almost whenever, you know, as much as you can, because your body is in such a state of needing recovery, because it's just gone through some major trauma, especially if you had a difficult birth, or if you had a C-section or other complications, you really need to just get as much sleep as you can get whenever, however um but as you're entering like the third and fourth week and especially if you're physically recovering pretty well you should be getting yourself back to mostly sleeping at at night and napping Not very much during the day. This again is to help your circadian rhythm. And also, when you nap during the day, it's like eating a snack before dinner. You are taking away some of that homeostatic sleep drive that you need in order to sleep well at night. Now, by all means, I am not saying to not nap. I am a huge fan of napping, especially for new parents. I myself took full advantage of napping post baby, but we need to nap strategically. By which I mean nap at about the same time every day and have that be early ish during the day like midday early afternoon and keep the nap to a reasonable like hour at most maybe like hour and a half at most. What we don't want is haphazard napping, like napping some days, some days not, some days in the morning, some days in the evening, sometimes for 20 minutes, sometimes for three hours, just kind of like here and there, grab bag of napping. That is no good because what that's going to do is confuse your circadian clock, take away from your... Nighttime sleep, especially if you're napping in the evenings, that's really going to take away from your nighttime sleep, um, and it's really going to mess up the timing and amount of your nighttime sleep. That turns into a vicious cycle because then some days you're going to sleep in a lot, or some days, you're, nights you're going to sleep very little, and that carries into the next day and how sleepy you are or how ready you, like how much sleep drive you have for the next night. So as you know, even with people who are not pregnant or not post baby, um, when we do regular CBTI with folks with insomnia, we really want that steady, consistent sleep pattern, right? Because when we don't have that consistent pattern, it feeds into a vicious cycle of insomnia. So that's why napping strategically is very important. So consistency is a key. Yes. Consistency and not napping too long. I would cap it at about an hour, hour and a
0: half at most. Mm. And for the nap, would you suggest, um, spread it out throughout the day, like, uh, multiple short naps, or it's okay to have a longer nap just once a day?
1: I would say, ideally you actually want to have one consolidated nap, uh, once a day, but that might not be possible, um, in the early weeks, like the first two to four weeks, you might be doing like two shorter naps, but even then, Even your second nap, try to keep it on the earlier end, like not too late into the afternoon and certainly not in the evening. Although I would say caveat to that, at any time, if you feel like you're so sleepy that you're not able to be safe, Certainly take a short nap to take the edge off um, safety first. So if you feel like you're dozing off as you're holding your baby and you're going to drop your baby, absolutely take a nap. Or if you need to drive somewhere, absolutely take a nap if you're going to be drowsy, but you know, as we're getting into like the fourth week and beyond six week, as, you know, beyond as your baby is starting to develop that circadian rhythm, work on doing your best to consolidate your napping and, and making your napping consistent.
0: Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I think that's very important reminder for a lot of parents. And also I would imagine this, uh, even though we see consistency, right. But the schedule possibly going to change after several mm-hmm. weeks as the baby sleep change. Exactly. Yes. So a lot of what drives your sleep in the early months
1: is going to be your baby sleep. As we get into like the baby being, you know, six months old, maybe even a little bit earlier as they're getting better and better about sleeping longer stretches at night and their circadian rhythm is like more fully set, their nap schedules are settling into a consistent pattern. At that point, it's not really the baby sleep that's driving your sleep anymore. At that point, if the parent is still having significant sleep problems, there are other things going on. I know it, for a lot of parents, it feels like as soon as their baby sleeps through the night or sleeps better, their sleep will be better or that's what they're hoping. But as we're getting into the six month range, you know, it's,
0: it's usually at least a big part of it is other stuff that's getting in the way. Thank you for listening. Hope you like our conversation. In the next episode, Dr. Wu will discuss what we can do after the baby is over six months old. At the end, just want to remind you of some sleep resources my clinic offers. So I just launched a new sleep podcast in Chinese, and I also have two CBTI insomnia treatment course, one in Chinese, one in English. You can find more information at mindbodygarden.com course. Great to have you today. I'm Dr. Shen. I will see you next time. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently.